Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Morning! Good to see you men! Welcome to Man Challenge. Uh, my name is Mason. If you don't know me, I serve in the uh, men's ministry staff here with Josh, Grant, and Ronnie. Uh, great to see you, fellas. Uh, this has been, I guess this is our third week back. It has been a joy to be back in, in a room with you guys. So, uh, some of you might remember this. I, I don't know if you all are paying attention to this or not, but today is the one-year mark from when we had our last man challenge in the block up to this point. Y'all remember that? Who was in the room that morning? Very normal day at Man Challenge. We were in a Galatians series. Jay Dorch was emceeing. Matt Reagan was teaching. Where's, is Jay Dorch here? Not to blame you for anything, Jay. I've never emceed and then the world shut down for a year. So here we are. Uh, but absolutely thrilled to be back in the room. But think, looking back on this year, um, you know, we, we learned lots of culturally normal words like unprecedented. And uh, we learned that the world, quote unquote, stopped. And as I was, I was kind of reflecting yesterday, just in, uh, as we are able to be back in this room together, not in the way w- that we prefer, right? Like we don't want to have masks on and sit with two and three seats in between us and then go to rooms all throughout the church. I, I very much miss the normal experience of, of Thursday mornings over in the block. But as, as the world stopped, and I was reflecting on this yesterday, as the world stopped, it's been a joy to see that in the last year, uh, if, within this context, that, that God has not. And that was maybe a little bit cliche, but look at, look at the reality of the last year with me. Is there is nobody in this room, and at, at least it would be rare, whose circumstances have not uh, dramatically shifted whether that meant you were working from home or whether that meant you experienced job loss or you know people who uh, lost loved ones or you lost loved ones yourselves. Uh, lots and lots of change in the last year. But what I've seen as we, as we study this Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus in, in chapter 7 says, Ask and you will seek, or ask and you will find. Knock and I will, I will come to you. He talks about it in James. If we draw near to God, that he will, he will draw near to us. And I have seen over this past year, the faithfulness of God in that way. In, in the lives of you men, not just personally, but also in groups where as you guys have maybe come to a greater understanding of your need for him, as I've come to a greater understanding of my need for God, I've looked at this past year and seen a God who is faithful, present, coming, who has not stopped even when the world has. And so it's a, it's a joy to be back in the room. I'm going to keep saying that as long as we get to gather together. I'm just, um, I'm grateful in a new way to be with you guys. This morning, we are in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 5 still. Uh, it's session 9 of the semester, but we are, we're just a few weeks into our, our Sermon on the Mount series here. And I, I said this in a video maybe a month ago now, uh, but I, I truly believe that the Sermon on the Mount are some of the most famous words ever spoken. And that's not because uh, they were simply clever. It's because... Uh, one of the values we prioritize here at, at, in men's ministry and at man challenge is clearly conveyed by Jesus, God. He, he makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount who he is and what it means to follow him. What it, what it means to know God and what it, know, what it means to, to be godly. And so we keep looking each week. We started in the Beatitudes and we had salt and light. And last week we had Christ and the law. And this week we've got Ronnie Corche talking about an easy subject of... Um, what, what anger and lust looks like in the hearts of men, but what has been a joy and what is um, the beauty of this sermon as Jesus talks with his disciples and as the crowd grows is we get to see from the mouth of God as we look to develop our understanding, a competence and confident understanding of who the God of the universe is. We are looking at his, his very own words. He says, Here, here's who I am. Here's what it means to follow me. And so that's what we're running after this morning. That's what Ronnie's going to unpack as we look at Scripture and he, as he teaches you. And that's what, as we go to groups into our rooms, that's what we hope to be discussing around the table is uh, what, 
Who is he saying that he is? And what's that have to do with me today, 2,000 years later? So, uh, this morning, Ronnie, if you, he's already lingering on up here. Sir Ronald Cordray, if um, there's a decent number of, of men in the room who are new to Man Challenge in this last year, and we've got a lot of people kind of rotating on this stage, whether they're paid or not paid by the church to be up here. Ronnie, are you paid? full-time. Uh, I'll quickly do a little bit of introduction with Ronnie. Ronnie, you've been on staff here nine years this September mm-hmm. in men's ministry, but catch us up vocationally. When you left high school to now, give us a 25-second synopsis of what you've been doing with your working hours since then. Yeah, I went to Cincinnati Christian University for undergrad and grad school. I was in student ministry six years and then uh, got married in June of 2000 to Tish and we moved to Chicago a year later, planted a church, were there five years. Moved back to Kentucky, was at Northeast Christian Church before here, and then I've been here the past eight and a half years. And you said, you mentioned Tish, so you're married, you got kiddos? Yeah, three kids, uh, Ella, Kinsley, Grayson, and my urologist says we're done. <laughs> I've heard that joke 385 times, and it's still, you still, guys, you, you appease it. That's good. It's still true. Uh, it's still true. Uh, you have, in my time being around you, completed, well, I'll say this. How many Ironmans have you completed since being on staff at Southeast Christian Church? So two half Ironmans and one full Ironman. Which adds up to two whole ones, I guess. Is that how that works? Something like that. Yeah. Um, it's funny, though, when you tell somebody you did a half Ironman, they act like, oh, did you even sweat? Like, it's, you throw half or many in front of something, and it's like, oh, that must be been Which, How long is a half iron? 70.3 miles. Well, how does that split up? I don't so know. So 1.2 mile swim, 56-mile uh, bike ride, and a half marathon, 13.1 And then a full Ironman is just double that. Yep. That's amazing. Um, so that men can know the type of reality that you live in, the, the hard life that you have to walk. Are you lactose intolerant? You know... Doctors would probably say yes. We call it the Cordray curse in our family. Um, But allegedly, if I eat dairy, I will run to the restroom. Sure, yeah. But So you guys can know the courage of our fearless leader in men's ministry. We go to Taco Luchador. Uh, What are you going to eat? I'm going to get Tinga chicken nachos (laughs) and a straw for the cheese sauce. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this past year, um, just looking back retrospectively how the Lord's worked. I'd like to be, I'd like to hear, well, I'll ask this first. I want to ask a funny question before we move on to that. Funniest stage appropriate men's ministry memory, do you have one? Funny stage appropriate? Yeah. Well, that nixes most of them. Um, you know, there is one, it, I don't know if, if you guys were here, it's probably been five, six years ago, we did Life as We Know It at the end of the semester. How many of you were here when we, we did that? Okay. Um, so essentially everybody was becoming fully known in their groups and we were actually gonna spend time doing that and and we had a lot of table leaders be like, I don't know if I feel comfortable. And I said, well, guess what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my story from stage. So deal with it. And so I get up there and I'm, I, when I say I was nervous, I'm, I'm fully comfortable because Jesus redeemed my story but it was some heavy stuff yeah. you know I was I was gonna share I was really going there and we're in the block and this dude I kid you not I, I'm probably seven eight minutes in I mean I'm really just starting to get ready to you know pull my pants down in front of you guys so to speak and this dude comes running in the room and, and I think some guys thought it was scripted it was not scripted this guy comes running in to the middle of the room and he's like hey I mean I'm not sure what's going on literally uh, this heckler guy he goes hey he said I don't know who you are and what you guys are doing but everything you're saying is being on the speaker outside like he had come <laughs> to work out at sports and fitness and and hear my you know, fully known story is broadcast, and so I was like, oh, well, if you heard that outside, my name's Kyle Adams, you know, I mean, it was, so, and ironically, we had uh, a, one of our volunteers, because uh, tech is run by volunteers, and our key guy, Dave Ernst, had thrown his back out, so he was out that morning, 
a guy who basically great guy but knew nothing about technology and he basically knew like touch that button and so he was like I think I can figure it out and I was like nope I turned the mic off I was like I hope you guys can hear me out there yeah. so it was that is great it's funny now it wasn't funny I'm in the moment, sure but uh, it kind of was well yeah so I was gonna ask you personally you can answer personally or for the room yeah looking back on the last year mm. what is the Lord shown you about himself what have you seen to be true of him what would you encourage men with there's seven questions. You pick which one. Maybe. Yeah. Um, what I would encourage you guys with is what I'd encourage myself to apply as well. And that is, I mean, give yourself a little grace. Um, I've just, I've found myself getting wound so tight hmm. and um, in some ways can be helpful, but mostly not. So encourage to, to give yourself some grace. Um, be quick to apologize. I have apologized more this past year to my wife and kids mm. than in probably my whole rest of my life. Just my views has been interesting at times. The other thing I would encourage you guys with is replace, this isn't semantics, replace any kind of wording or thought process that leads you to saying, you know, man, I don't fill in the blank with whatever as much as I should or I need to more. I'd, I'd replace that with the word intentional. Because um, I've just seen a lot of guys, not COVID specific. It's just, man, I just see the enemy using that. Man, I don't as much as I should. Or, and it's just a bottomless pit. You can't win. So be intentional. So be like intentional with yeah. whatever fields or realms. Yeah, it, let me give you an example. Like if I said, man, I, I don't encourage Tish as much as I should. Mm. Well, how do I know if I'm winning with that? Yeah. That's very different than, man, I want to catch Tish once a, once a day or once a week doing something to to praise her for that's good that's that's easy to it's know it's intentionality and yeah, yeah there's not some arbitrary threshold that's good uh i'll pray for you all right thanks lord i thank you for my leader and my friend and the opportunity for us to learn from him uh as he unpacks your word spirit as we open up scripture this morning um to a text that uh ronnie has boldly and um honestly taken on to teach and lead us in would you use him as a mouthpiece uh, that we might see your heart for us in the midst of our um, our anger, our lust, our sin, our hope, our uh, distractions, our um, need of you, Lord. That's what we ask this morning. We trust that you'll do it. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mason. Good morning, fellas. Hey, let's get something out of the way. This is a big room and can be a dead room, so I'm going to need you to laugh five times harder than you would in the block and appease me with that because man this is this is different and I don't know what it sounds like out there it sounds like a, a dolphin's getting ready to squeak in the background so I hope that doesn't happen well so Mason approached me a, a few a while back and he said hey I think you'd be great to teach on anger and lust so apparently I'm the angry perv on men's staff so um Simon accepted this is going to be a blast. You know, last week, Robin, he talked about um, hinge passages, hinge verses, um, where Jesus seems to shift and go in a different direction. And what we're going to see between now and the end of May in the rest of this Sermon on the Mount passage in Matthew 5 to 7, it's going to seem to be a string of random topics that seem to just be all over the place at some level and to the world they're head scratchers because they don't make sense and that's why we're calling this series upside down because it's precisely what Jesus sermon on the mount teaching is it's countercultural cultural it's it's not intuitive no one accidentally lives out this Jesus way of living um, on our own no one uh, at least in a sustainable way John 15 5 says this he said Jesus says apart from me Jesus talking you can do nothing in other words you can't live out this stuff with mere discipline and grit and so this is specifically not popular at the self-help section at Barnes and Nobles but it's true and that's one thing I love about this church there's many but one thing I love about this church is our first mantra is be the brand 
because everything flows from that, including our passage today. We recently did a men's survey. One of the statements that 38% of you men got wrong, and I don't say that to make anybody feel dumb, that's just facts for our friends. 38% of you got the following statement wrong. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Fellas, listen to me. All of us are evil by nature. We are all born with a sin nature. And let me ask you, what do men who were born with a sin nature do? Naturally, we sin. It's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 24, he says, What a wretched man I am. This is a man who spread the gospel on a next level. And he says, what a wretched man I am. To be clear, the goal of today and the rest of the semester for that matter is not for you and me to become less wretched. It's not to live in such a way so that Jesus will love you more. It's not even um, to have certain behaviors true of you so that you can earn his favor. It's 100% for us to pursue becoming holy. Christ-like, for the world to see Jesus' reflection through us men. That's it. And Jesus says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, it would have been helpful if he'd have started off with this, by the way, but he didn't. He waited till the end. And he said this. He said, becoming holy, becoming Christ-like, it starts with becoming a wise man and building a wise foundation. And how Jesus defines being a wise man is to commit to being a man who both hears the truth spoken in Scripture and puts it into practice. Jesus calls this building a solid foundation. And whether you're seeking what it even means to follow this Jesus Messiah guy, and by, by the way, if that's you, if you're like, man, I just, my friend invited me here, I don't even know what's going on, or whether you've been walking with Jesus and diving into the truth of Scripture for a long time, it's still the same. Hear truth, and put it into practice. Hear another truth, and put it into practice. And over time, it has a cumulative effect to where our foundation is solid if we put it into practice. It's early, you're here, so I'm assuming you want to learn how to be wise men. So let's go. First topic anger Matthew 5 21 to 26 says this I'm reading from the NIV version it says you have heard that it was said to the people long ago do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment again anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin in other words to court but anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave, it, leave your gift there in, in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. First thing I'd like to say to you men today is we are murderers. But you're glad you got up to hear that pep talk this morning, huh? You're murderers. We are murderers. There may be a man or two in this room who literally is a murderer. For the rest of us, excuse me, if that is you, I want to say to you, God's grace is greater than your sin. For the rest of us in God's economy, we all have a teardrop tattooed under our left eye. Jesus defines murderer differently than gangs, prisons, and even court systems define it today. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then in Proverbs 4, 23, it's, says above all else guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life and since anger is a matter of the heart Jesus is very 
concerned about it, so much so that he puts it into the same category as murder. Verse 21, it says, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. Let's pause there. Jesus has the Old Testament on his mind, specifically the Ten Commandments, and even more specifically than that, the Sixth Commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. And so he quotes that because he knew the people of this day were familiar with this Old Testament passage. And so he quotes that, he references that, and he holds that in high regard. But then in verse 22, he says this, but I tell you, it's a great reminder and perspective here. Jesus is not discounting the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments. He's not saying, ah, that, that's the Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. You know, that's old school. Nope, not at all. He's complimenting it. And don't miss this, guys. He is unapologetically calling us higher. Not in a legalistic way, in a heart way. Similar with one of our men's values here, developing a next step of faith. Constantly calling us higher. Not to prove ourselves. To honor Jesus. Greater levels. Don't miss this. Verse 22. Anyone who is angry with his brother. You know, you think, well, man, is this a male chauvinist passage here? Not at all. It's, it's similar to anyone who's taken Spanish, high school or beyond. You know, it's... It, this is probably the only thing I remember from two years of Spanish. But if you have one guy in the midst of one or more ladies, it's still the masculine, right? It's, it's hermano or amigos. It's not amigas if there's a guy. So, so think of that when it's saying brothers, it's people. But it says brother. You know, I remember, uh, speaking of anger, I remember last summer when we were preparing to uh, teach through um, some of the Psalms last summer, it was, it was really well done. Chris, Sam, and Mason knocked it out of the park. And I remember when we were, uh, when we were trying, we had to nix a week of material. And so we're, we're looking at it like, man, which week? You know, they were all really good. And it's like, which week? And I remember the recommendation came to me that, hey, we don't think we need to take a week uh, and, and spend on anger. And I remember thinking, man, I trust these guys, but I remember in my mind thinking, are you kidding me? Like, men and anger, we, we need to skip that week. I remember thinking we could do a whole series on anger, and it wouldn't be long enough um, for most men that I come into contact with, myself included, by the way. I'm tempted to even say, well, man, I think COVID, man, I, it created a lot of anger for me. Maybe you're different. I think it more revealed certain aspects of anger more than it created it. Back to verse 22. It says, rakah. You know, many of you have heard us say this before because it's true. Man, if, 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 if you have a name that's weird, just say it with confidence and people think it's right. I don't know. It may be Reka. Who knows? But just say it however pleases you. But regardless how you pronounce it, this is not a term that we use today. And if you're like, well, it is, I do. Well, that would make you weird because in today's world, we don't use the term raka. But here's basically uh, what it's the equivalent to. It's the equivalent to calling someone an idiot. And then to call someone a fool a, a few paces later is to call someone stupid. In our home, um, you know, there's true cuss words and then there's words that we don't say. My kids are going to be so confused because they think they're all cuss words, but they think that calling somebody stupid or an idiot is a cuss word. Unfortunately, they've heard daddy cuss before um, in the car. But the bottom line here is Jesus is pointing out the simple moral fact that angry words kill. And that's important to understand. What we see next both reveals that God is a God of order, not chaos, and it shows us how to pursue this upside-down Jesus way of living when, not if, we experience anger. 
Verse 23, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, if you remember a grudge someone has against you, or even that you have against them, Jesus is saying, don't assume that time will heal your heart, because it won't. He says, the only thing that time does with this toxic, with this topic is corrode callous and embitter. Jesus reminds that you have to guard your heart against letting the toxicity of anger become heart sludge. And here's a way to guard against it. Verse 24, first, go and be reconciled. Then come. You know, those are a couple words I want to point out. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, first, finish worshiping me at the 9 or 11.15 service or, or Thursday night, 6.30. Then, you know, take communion. Then give your offering. Then go to lunch or dinner. Then take a nap, watch some TV. And then, oh yeah, then think about doing this. Nope. He is the God of order. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he said, for Jesus to tell us, hey, listen, guys, if you're experiencing anger with someone, leave church. Leave worshiping me, which is our top priority, by the way. This is how important this is to him. And pursue reconciliation. Then, this must be uber important for Jesus to say that. Verse 25, and he says, settle matters quickly. Don't let them carry on and on. Do it, he says. Jesus instructs us to do it and do it quickly. He wants us to make the first move. No matter if you were wronged and you're innocent party that's developed anger because you're an innocent party and stuff's come at you, or even if you're the one that wronged somebody, it doesn't matter if you were wronged or you're the person who wronged someone. Upside down Jesus living is, hey, you want to be a wise man? Make the first move. Verse 26, I tell you the truth. Essentially, what I get out of this last verse is this. You will not overcome your anger with someone else until you have pursued making peace emphasis on pursued and just so you guys know that Jesus is not out there on some rainbows and butterflies out of touch with reality island he is not saying don't get angry he's not saying don't be angry he's also not saying it's a sin to experience anger that's not what I see in this passage nope what we learn here is how to deal with our anger in a Jesus-honoring way. So the practical application here is for those of you who consistently struggle with anger, which I would argue is the majority of this room at some level, if not all of us, both with becoming angry and knowing what to do with it in a healthy way, this passage is money. I challenge us to commit to at least memorizing some of the following verses that I'm gonna read here to memory so that we can cling to them to combat anger. We start off, we anchor them to our soul so that then, you know, Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that when you get angry, when it feels like your teeth are being filed by gritting them, we'll know how to pull these, pull these things up when they're needed. Psalm 4, 4 says this. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Notice that doesn't say don't become angry, and it's a sin to become angry. It says don't sin when you're angry. Difference. I can't tell you how many times I've started off innocent, but I became sinful by how I responded to my anger. In your sin, do not anger. Do, excuse me, in your anger, do not sin. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. James 1, 19 to 20. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. And then Romans 12.18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. To, to apply, pull out a piece from what we just said a minute ago, let me reread this verse with that in it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you making the first move, live at peace with everyone. It appears this isn't as random of a topic as we might think. Remember the Beatitudes? The seventh Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. In other words, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are. And Jesus calls us to be men of peace everywhere we go, in your home, with your neighbors, at work, at the gym, playing sports, watching sports, driving in your vehicle. As you go, pursue being a man of peace. Because pursuing being a man of peace and clinging to anger are opposite pursuits. Now, I don't really know how to make a smoothly transition to the next part of our passage for today other than, speaking of anger, that reminds me of lust, right? So, let's talk about that. You know, I've heard that it's said that there's two types of men in this world. Men who struggle with lust and men who struggle with lying. <laughs> Assuming there are no liars in this room, uh, we're going to talk about lust. Uh, last week, Robin presented with uh, us with 28 intellectual slides with many words on these slides that I had to Google just so I could kind of comprehend what they meant. Uh, but today, I'm going to present you with a visual of my own. They're, I believe they have the power to revolutionize this community and beyond. I call them lust busters. And they really work, fellas. They're great to take with you to the beach. They're great to take with you to the gym. They're great to take with you when you're walking your dog. Uh, pretty much everywhere you go, they're great when you're meeting with your accountability partner at Hooters. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, they're great. I can't think of a place where these aren't great. They're even great to wear, dadgummit, on Sundays here at church when the weather turns. These things are great. Uh, there's, unfortunately, there, you know, there's not a place where they're not helpful. And you may be thinking, well, Ronnie, that it's easy for you to wear them. You're 5'5", five five and you're at most levels different than me. Well, I'm glad you said that because these are adjustable. They can move up or down. And I would argue that the best way to wear these is like this. Um, that's the honest truth, but... Um, for today only, I don't want to pressure you guys, but with three easy payments of $39.99, plus $100 to cover shipping and handling and processing, you can own a bad pair of those bad boys, you know. Oh, man, if only our culture in today's fashion and Lululemon made it that easy, huh? Fellas, I am tired. I'm tired of witnessing the enemy winning ground in our midst. In eight and a half years of serving here as the men's pastor, I can pretty confidently say that this topic of lust and everything associated with it has been the single-handedly most powerful weapon I've witnessed the enemy use to kill, steal, and destroy men's hearts, families, marriages, just wreaked havoc. You know, I remember when I met with Kyle shortly after I had started eight and a half years ago, and we were just chatting men's ministry and men, and, and he said this, and it's even more true today than it was eight and a half years ago. He said, you know, Ronnie, he said, he said, porn has, has become so bad in our society. He says, when I used to meet with a couple doing premarital counseling, I used to at, pull the guy aside and, and ask him if porn was a problem. He said, now it's gotten so bad, he goes, I don't even ask him that. I just pull the guy aside and be like, how much of a problem is this in your life? It's a shift. So we need to talk about it. More importantly, we need to hear what Jesus has to say on this topic. Because he's our master. 
So don't confuse the fact that there are only four verses here on this subject with its significance and its potency and its importance. Perhaps Jesus spoke few words here on this subject in this passage because it's really that simple to understand how to define it and how to deal with it. Maybe he was like, I don't need to spend a lot of verses on this. So he gets straight to the point. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If it's, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So the second thing I'd like to say to you men today is that we are adulterers. For some of you in this room, that's not a figure of speech. You literally are an adulterer. And for you, I say this, God's grace is greater than your sin. For the rest of us in God's economy, if you have ever lusted after another woman, you're in the same category as an adulterer. Let's break down the second passage. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said. We see the same pattern as the previous one on anger. Jesus has the Old Testament on his mind, um, specifically the seventh commandment from Exodus 20:14. You shall not commit adultery. And again, he's not discounting that. He's taking it higher. He says in verse 28, but I tell you, Jesus again is calling us higher. He's not adding to calling us higher because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Guys, buckle up for this part. He's saying that if you have ever, that if you even look at a woman lustfully, it's the same as having sex with her. Undressing her with your eyes in God's economy is the same as undressing her with your hands. And I remember the first time I, I, I taught this passage we were living up in Chicago, Illinois. It was back in 2002. I was serving as the team chaplain for a minor league baseball team, and I was meeting with seven or eight guys in the GM's office um, one, one time at lunch, and we were going through Sermon on the Mount, and I had brought these guys Subway, and I remember they're sitting there eating their foot long, and then I get to verse 28, and every guy stopped eating their sub. And the rest of that hour, uh, there wasn't a lot of eye contact in my direction from us looking into this passage. And I get it. Let's just say it was, it was a somber tone. As these guys were thrown into the mix where after every game, there was a group of ladies that would stand outside the gate um, waiting for them to exit the field. Guys, this is personally a painful subject for me to teach on today because it reminds me of how in 20 years of marriage I have hurt my wife on this subject many times. 100% because I have acted many times like a foolish man. My wife and I both saved ourselves for marriage, which we're proud of, but when I read verse 28, I realize that I wasn't a virgin when I got married. I had had sex with many women prior to marriage. They just didn't know it. And I had bought into this lie at a fairly young age from the enemy that said, Ronnie, you can look and fantasize and do whatever you want in your mind with women and to women as long as you don't touch or put skin on your thoughts, then you're still pure. It's a lie because, uh, one, it's unbiblical, and two, is because it short-circuited my wiring and my brain, and it calloused my heart to how I viewed women. I, I started viewing women as objects to be lusted after, not daughters of God to be respected and looked at with purity. And truthfully, for years, I, I thought I had a problem with my eyes, but it wasn't until my accountability partner at the time loved me enough to say, Ronnie, you got a problem with your heart. And it was March 2009 over in the paddock Starbucks while meeting 
with my accountability partner at the time that God started healing my heart to this. So what happened? Well, up to that point, I had been confessing my guilt, but I had never truly repented of my sin. So that was a first, and it started a healing process of dealing with my heart. So Jesus identifies how he defines adultery in verse 28. And and by the way, I know maybe a lot of you guys are here being like, Ronnie, I, I wish it was just with my thoughts. I have put skin on this subject over and over and over again. Fellas, sin is sin. We're all adulterers in God's economy. Verse 28, he says that, identifies, or he defines adultery. And then in verse 28, he moves on to tell us what we need to do to overcome it, like he did with anger. The problem here, fellas, as we just read a minute, a few moments ago, the problem here, unlike anger passage, is that to literally apply what Jesus uh, says to apply with lust, it seems a bit wonky and confusing, right? If not, you need to read it again. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Like he doesn't say figuratively. Just gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, I think he used right hand because most people are right-handed. He says, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for, the, for your whole body to go into hell. So it appears, men, that we are in quite a predicament. If, if I literally applied verses 29 to 30, I would be standing here today a handless blind guy. And that's not to elicit laughter. Seriously. I believe we can all agree that Jesus' instructions of what to do with lust is pretty radical and extreme here. So what gives? What gives? I want us to lift a few words out of these two verses in attempts to help us see clearly. Because it's easy to write off and be like, well, I'm not gorging my eye out and I'm not cutting off my right hand that's dumb let's be hard to explain when I went home today I'm not doing that so what gives let's lift a few words and I'll tell you you are a wise man whether you're married or single if you lean in on this next part and apply it not because it's me saying it because it's true verse 29 and 30 are saying the same thing listen to these words that stick out like 3d if causes you to sin gouge it out throw it away if causes you to sin cut it off throw it away if causes you to lust gouge it out throw it away if causes you to lust cut it off throw it away if your smartphone if having cable or Netflix, if going to get a massage, if working out at that gym, if working next to that woman, if dating that woman, for single guys, if talking to that woman, if social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, social media, if any of that and more causes you to sin, causes you to lust, gouge it out of your life. Throw it away. Cut it off. Throw it away. Quick side note for any single guy in the audience. If you're living with another woman, you are sinning according to Scripture. Want to be a wise man? move out literally today this isn't something you need to I need to pray about that you need to pray about it pray for obedience do it today if you're having sex with another woman outside of marriage you're sinning you want to be a wise man stop having sex with her literally today if you have any female contacts in your phone this is a marriage man advice as well 
who you would deem as a hookup or a potential lonely night hookup or someone that can give you attention, block them, then delete them today. Bruce Wilkerson, Wilkinson says it this way. He says, so many times with, when dealing with temptation, with sin, with lust, he says we treat lust and temptation like the gladiator against the lion in the arena. He says so many times as men we're the gladiator, we put ourselves in the arena of temptation, in the arena of lust, and then we see the lion and how scary it is, and we're like, God, if you help me out of this situation, I, please help me. He says, here's a crazy idea. Stay out of the arena. Someone else said, you know, you know you're not planning on going in the house. Stay off the front porch. You think, man, that's legalistic. Is it? It's how Jesus defines upside-down living. No one said, Jesus never said following him was going to be easy and comfortable and never calls us to miss out on short-term pleasure and short-term adrenaline rushing opportunities with lust. Never did. He said, you had to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, take it, and follow me. You're not saying that to be a killjoy. He's saying that because this life to the full that he desires us to pursue and to live out. He's like, man, this, this is a huge distraction. You can't wholeheartedly pursue me while you got this side gig going on with lust. It's better for you to lose. That isn't exactly a helpful phrase, so let's connect some dots here. It's better for you to lose out or miss out on short-term pleasure in your whole life to be destroyed and distracted. I want to challenge us to commit at least a few of these verses to, to memory again, anchor them in our, our soul so that we can cling to them to combat lust, man. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, who, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I love this because this is the no excuse verse no exception verse no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it Ephesians 5 3 and among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity because these are improper for God's holy people 1st Timothy 5 2 treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Can I tell you something, men? I recite that verse a lot of times before I go into workout because I need to. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully at a woman. In conclusion, 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus is our model. And men, Jesus knows what it's like to experience anger, eat, even he dealt with anger. In Matthew 21, 12 to 13, Jesus became very angry at people trying to take money while at church, or trying to make money while at church. Uh, multiple times throughout the Gospels, he had people who kept attacking him and who were trying to trick him and, and catch him, contradicting his words. And they were trying to catch him not to learn so that they could point. And that made him angry. Jesus got angry, but catch this, he never sinned even when he was angry, which is hard to do, yet possible. He modeled this for us. Talk about ultimate anger. He was nailed to a cross for stuff he didn't do. Jesus also knows what it's like to be tempted with lust. In Matthew 26, verse 6, it says, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Fellas, Jesus was, is the Son of God. He's fully God. 
but he was also fully human, fully man, which means he had hormones. To have this woman massaging his head and, and hair gently, it, it had potential to lead somewhere had he led it, but he didn't. This is a great verse for us to cling to with Jesus as our model. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I started off by quoting Romans 8, 24 from Paul when he says, what a wretched man I am. I want to end with the very next verse because it's a verse of hope and it's key to victory with anger and lust Romans 8.25 thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord Father praise you for these men I pray you would give us courage as we go into our, our, our small group time that you would give us courage and boldness and truthfulness to become fully known on these subjects of anger and lust, not to just become fully known, but so as your word talks about in James 5, 16, so that we can be healed. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that for the fact that none of us have sinned past our last day of grace in your economy. And so I pray that we'd lean into that this morning and we pray that you would be honored and glorified as a result. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.